0: This morning, I woke up at 7 o'clock and I was extra tired for some reason. I'd gotten to bed a little bit later, not till about 11 last night. And so I hit the snooze button for a few times. Then finally realized I got to get going. I was running as I was about ready to head out the door. I looked up at a clock that I have right above my door. My phone had sprung forward an hour on its own. Instead of getting up at seven, I got up at six. Now one hour shouldn't make that much difference, but when you do it on the other end too, it, it accumulates. So, I had to figure out how to get my phone to reset itself. I couldn't figure out how to do it. You know what the most obvious thing is? Turn it off, turn it back on. Like you do with the computer, you reboot it, and it reset itself. So I then had an extra hour. (laughs) that I didn't, well, at least 45 minutes at least, I didn't think I had. I'm going to invite you to turn this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is a passage of scripture that in many ways does speak to our time. We don't have any Judaizers running around, but we've got a lot of people with a lot of different ideas that they have incorporated in to their brand of Christianity as they have tried to borrow from different religions, things that they liked, things they wanted to make a part of their religion. Begin with verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you were running a good race, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. For as for for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, You, my brothers... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will make the application to our lives today evident as we take a look at this passage of Scripture. Pray that you will help us to be on guard and not be adding things in, but to trust Jesus, Jesus alone, by faith, for our salvation and for living the life here on this earth. Help us to bring glory to your name as we learn how to love one another and we practice it through our actions day in and day out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It ain't over till it's over. Do you know who said that? Yogi Berra. Berra. Does everybody know who Yogi Berra is? I see a few heads nodding. Yogi Berra was one of my idols when I was a kid. I remember checking books out of the library and reading up on Yogi Berra's life and Joe Garagiola's life because they grew up near each other. And then they got to play Major League Baseball with one another. That particular quote is perhaps Yogi's most famous. Something strange must have happened to him on that day because it is both simple and elegant, it must have been a rare moment of linguistic clarity. Because most of the time, the things that he said were confusing at best. And they were like double speech. <laughs> I'll give me a few examples. This is like deja vu all over again. <laughs> you can observe a lot just by watching. You've got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. I knew I was going to take the wrong train, so I left early. Baseball is 90% mental. The other half is physical. A nickel isn't worth a dime today. Yogi-isms are they're great, aren't they are great, aren't they? It was impossible to get a conversation going. Everybody was talking too much. If you, there goes the voice, I strained it. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. If the fans don't come out to the ballpark, you can't stop them, okay? It ain't the heat, it's the humility. You should always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't come to yours. (laughs) I didn't really say everything I said. Yeah. If you stop and think about him, you get the idea of what he was trying to say. He just didn't. It just didn't come out right. And he was famous for doing those kind of things all the time. But he's not the only one that gets confused. We've got a lot of people in our world today that are getting confused. And right at the heart of it is they're trying to be accepting of everything. They're trying to be accepting of everybody. And so they're taking a little bit out of this and a little bit out of this religion, a little bit out of this one, and they're trying to incorporate it in. And they're trying to say, well, I'm a Christian. But when you talk to them, It's confusing because they're bringing in all these things from other religions and you can't find any basis for it in the Bible. And so it's confusing. In our text today, Paul gives us three central truths that I think will help us out of that confusion. If we can have clarity about these three elements, I believe that cloud of confusion would subside. So what are these three things? Well, what I've got is a what, a who, and a which. Let's begin with what. What counts? Look at verse 6 again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Listen to this latter part. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The false teachers of that day were saying there were a lot of things that counted, a lot of things he had to do to be a Christian. Specifically they were bringing him some uh, requirements from the Old Testament law. Especially things that God had put in there to establish Jewish identity and to separate them, from, help separate them from the world. But Paul cuts through that confusion.
1: And he says the only
0: thing that really counts is faith. Faith that is genuine will express itself outwardly through love. You will genuinely love other people. You will have compassion toward them, not merely in symbolic ways, but in practical, loving ways. You see, a surgical procedure doesn't really matter. A particular dress code doesn't really matter. Uh, When I entered the pastorate, I would come down to the office with a tie on. I didn't always wear a coat, but I always had a tie on. That made me a pastor. When I stepped into the pulpit, I always had a coat and tie. And then I experienced some churches that didn't have air conditioning. And I decided that there was nothing spiritual about watching the preacher sweat. And so I shed the coat, but I kept the tie. Kept the tie for quite a while. Then I started looking out and I started realizing I was the only fool that had a tie on. So I started taking my tie off. I am so thankful that we have a little bit more relaxed dress code today in our churches. I remember as a kid, my folks would put me in my little suit and tie And they would take me down to Sunday school and church. Man, what's the first thing that came off when I got home? That tie. that, That tie was off before I got home. But the rest of it was off very quickly afterward, and I was back into my jeans again. In Grace Awakening, Charles Swindoll tells of a missionary family who was literally forced off the mission field by peanut butter. You say, peanut butter? Yeah. They were sent to a location where peanut butter wasn't available. And so they asked some of their friends in the States to send them some peanut butter, and they would do it periodically. Well, the other missionaries took exception to that because they, they had the, the, the feeling that uh, it was a mark of spirituality for them to do without peanut butter. Well, these folks thought, well, that's silly. I think that's just a matter of taste. And if somebody wants to provide some peanut butter for us, we're going to eat it. But after a while, the pressure got so great that they finally gave in and they left that mission field. Isn't that sad? But that's the kind of thing that we enforce sometimes. We will come up with something that... Why? Something that we feel we should do, and when we start doing it, we feel everybody else ought to do it because it's the spiritual thing to do. Why? Why? These other missionary families may not have intended it, but they were conveying the message that sacrificing peanut butter would make you more spiritual. Don't you wish it was that easy? Don't you wish it was that easy? If all you had to do was do without peanut butter? No way, no way you say? No way. No way. You, you would be out of the church if that was the case, huh? No. Well, this is the same kind of thinking that the Judaizers were pressing in on him, and they, Paul was heading it off. And he says... Faith that expresses itself in love. That's what you need to have. Now, when faith is expressing in love, some of those externals, yeah, okay, they may have to change. And we're going to look at that in a few moments. But the only thing that really matters is a life that is changing because of faith in Christ. Life-changing faith in Christ. That is the one element that matters. Trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus made there on the cross. Trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for all of your sins. I grant forgiveness to you. You can't add anything to it. People have gotten mixed up and they said, well, you've got to get baptized. Hey, I, I believe you need to get baptized, but not for your salvation. Well, you need to do this. Well, it would probably be good if you did this. And I'm not going to cite a bunch of examples. I'm just going to say it's not necessary for your salvation. If God convicts you of it, then stop it. But that doesn't mean everybody else has to. And yet we've got a lot of people that think that way, don't they? There ought to be a a change in behavior when you're trusting Jesus. Always. Always. But that's not how you earn your salvation. Listen to the contrast between faith and works, as John Piper has put it. Works wants the thrill of feeling itself overcome an obstacle. Faith wants the thrill of feeling God overcome an obstacle. Works longs for the joy of being glorified as capable, strong, and smart. Faith longs for the joy of seeing God glorified for his strength and his wisdom. In its religious form, works accepts the challenge of morality, conquers its obstacles through great exertion, and offers victory to God for his gratitude and applause and recompense. They want God to applaud them, how spiritual they are. Faith also accepts the challenge of morality but only as an occasion to become the instrument of God's power. And when the victory is achieved, faith rejoices that all the glory and the thanks belongs to God. We've got to know what counts. Secondly, if we're going to cut through the confusion in our world, not only do we need to know what counts, we need to know who's calling. Is it Jesus or someone else? In verse 8 it says, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Remember Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. So an important way to get rid of the confusion is to recognize the voice of Jesus. How are you going to get to know the voice of Jesus? By studying scripture. By knowing his word. If you've got a red letter Bible, you need to pick up on those red letters those are the words of Jesus. You need to know what his voice sounds like. The false teachers in Paul's day, well, even today, they'll come in and they'll be very convincing. They will have arguments that they can make with you. I believe they will probably mix in some scriptures, more than likely scriptures they take in out of context. And they'll try to convince you that their way is the right way. Jesus said they would even come working miracles. So you need to know the voice of Jesus and what it sounds like so that you can distinguish his voice from the voice of those that are causing confusion. Spend time in his word. How do you know, how, what's the best way to know if a counterfeit bill is counterfeit or not? By studying the real thing. If you know what the real thing looks like, then you can recognize the counterfeit. That is the key element, and that is the key element in in our defense against the confusion that is in our world today. We need to know that central message that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and we need to be strong in our understanding of God's word so that we will know when something's been taken out of context. It is easy to think of God's free gift as a loan to be repaid or an advance wage to be earned, but this does not honor God. For we only exalt the cross, grace, and Christ when we admit that we have no assets to invest and that Christ's investment at Calvary was totally sufficient. It is through the cross only that we have righteousness in life. There is nothing we can do, Period. So recognize who's calling as well as what counts. And then the last thing I share with you which command? We need to know which command. Verse 14 the entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself. That is a key, key element to us as believers. Not the command to be circumcised, not dietary laws, not even the Ten Commandments, but love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, Jesus put it, love God and then love your neighbor. And I would say those two are the two elements, but Paul summed it up right here, saying, You need to be loving your neighbor as yourself. We have been set free to love, we have been set free to share. Christ's love with others. The interesting thing is that having been set free, God puts a desire within our hearts to help one another, to serve one another. The ultimate example of that is Christ himself, obviously. No one could debate that Christ was the epitome of freedom. The only reason he was chained to a human body was because he decided to set aside all of his godly attributes and to take on a human body. And he accepted those limitations because he wanted to identify with us. The ultimate expression of his freedom was when he chose to go to the cross. Don't think that was forced upon him. That was the ultimate expression of love. It looked like bondage. It looked like Satan won the war. But he made it clear before he went to the cross, in Mark 1048,45, excuse me, 1045, Mark, "For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." So we need to follow the example of Christ, and if we do, we'll find that our freedom is found in expressing itself through serving others. We serve God as we serve others. In verse 13 of our text, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Mom was watching her four-year-old in the kitchen. He had dragged a, a chair over next to the wall where there hung a picture and he was staring intensely at that picture. It was a picture of an old man who was bowing his head in prayer and he had a loaf of bread in front of him. And he stared at it for such a long time that it perked up her curiosity and she went over it and she asked him, what are you doing, honey? Looking, looking, he said. He said it as if it was kind of heavy on his heart. Moving closer, she noticed that tears were beginning to form in his eyes. What are you thinking? And he didn't hesitate at all with his answer, Mike. He says, he doesn't have any peanut butter. <laughs> I understand. All he had was bread. So this is a lot of work. That little guy was identifying with the man in the picture and he was having compassion for him. This is love at work. It is looking to meet the needs and deficiencies of others. Love does not seek its own. It is not self-centered or filled with self-pity. It does not talk about other people's faults. Love does not fear speaking with the stranger. It does not reject God's call to give your life for others. It does not waste money and become preoccupied with oneself. Love does not focus on things, but instead focuses on people. Faith expresses itself through love. A good example of this is found in Paul's letters to the Corinthian Christians. When he wrote to them, he tells them that for the sake of brotherly love, they should give up eating idols' sacrifices. Eating meat sacrificed to idols. Not because it was sinful, but because it was a problem for some of the other believers. Most of us would say, forget that. There's nothing sinful about it. I'm going to do what I want to do. But you know, for the sake of love, sometimes we need to to choose not to exercise our freedom that we have in Christ. And we need to be respectful to some other people and conscious of what they are thinking. They haven't come to understand that a lot of things are okay. It might be the way we dress or groom ourselves or the language that we use or our choice of entertainment or anything like that. I'm not going to spell out things. It is the type of thing that you've got to wrestle with yourself. And what's your motive behind it? Is your motive behind it to please somebody else? Is your motive behind it to fit in with somebody else? Is your motive behind it to, to perhaps elevate yourself before God and before man? Or is the motive behind it genuine love and compassion for someone else? It may cost you some time out of your schedule. It may cause you to spend some money on somebody else that you were saving for something special yourself. Because you see a need and you know that you've got what it would take to meet that need. In a few weeks, well not in a few weeks, next week, next week we're going to take a look at the passage that begins, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Living in the Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. Using Swindoll's terms, living in the grip of grace. It means that Christ is being formed in us and we're letting his love guide us in our decisions that we make. What counts? Only faith in Christ, not an external set of rules or regulations. Also by recognizing who's calling as we learn to discern the voice of the shepherd from the voice of the thief. And finally, we need to understand which commands we should live by. The command of love, which is the ultimate expression of freedom in Christ. We have the freedom to love others as Christ loved us. What a privilege. What an honor. What a responsibility. Let's pray. Father, help us to demonstrate our faith in Christ by loving others. If we're going to err, help us to err on the side of love rather than on the side of rules and regulations. Help us to be more concerned about people than we are practices and things that don't really matter in the long run. Help us to trust you to live your life out through us and to guide us by your Spirit. As we try in this world to live a Christ-like life, we can't do it. It is only through the power of your Spirit working in and through our lives that we're able to demonstrate that kind of love to the world that we live in.